we teamed up with Rodrigo over at What's the Buzz Coffee to create three blends of coffee that help support the show. And you can only find them at 95adventures.com. Weekend Getaway, Summit View, and the popular Espresso Blend. They're all small batch roasted and just the highest quality coffee that you can come across. Thank you to What's the Buzz for helping us out. And head on over to 95adventures.com and grab yourself a bag, have a tasty beverage, and help support the show. That's 95adventures.com. My guest today is Dr. Sean Baker. He's an orthopedic surgeon. He is responsible or partly responsible for creating the name, the carnivore diet. And we talk a lot about meat-based diets and health and wellness and just all sorts of things. He set world records in all sorts of athletic events. He's played professional rugby. You name it. The guy is amazing. You've heard him on a bunch of different podcasts. So I'm very thankful that he took the time to join us on this show and talk about a few things. Please enjoy the guest today, Dr. Sean Baker. There we go. Sean, thanks for being on, man. I really appreciate this. Yeah, Aaron, my pleasure. Yeah, looking forward to having a nice conversation. Yeah. Um, so before we get into it all, and I've I've heard a couple of podcasts with you before, you're so good at reciting everything that you, like your credentials and background because you've done this so much. Go ahead and fill everybody in on uh, what it is you do and who you are and all that good stuff. Yeah, I mean, I'm a, I'm a classically trained uh, physician in the United States. My, my background was in surgery. I was a surgeon. I was an orthopedic surgeon. So I did, you know, hip and knee replacements and sports medicine and trauma surgery. I spent time in the military doing, you know, uh, really intense combat surgery in Afghanistan. I, you know, I'd been one period of time, I kind of had several kind of career paths. I was a nuclear weapons guy. I, I, I launched nuclear bombs for the Air Force at one at one point early in my life. I've had a pretty extensive sports background. I played professional rugby. I've been a, a, a national American record holding powerlifter in the deadlift again as, as a drug free athlete, as we mentioned before. Um, I you know I, I've done uh, Highland Games where I was a world champion athlete. I've done competitive indoor rowing, concert two where I'm a world champion and world record holder. Uh, track and field. I've been lifting my whole life. I've been training for, you know, 40 some years. Um, I got into nutrition as a kind of early 40, you know, early 40s when I started to see that my health was starting to take a turn for the worst, despite all the training I'd done. You know, I'm still competing as a high level athlete. And uh, uh, despite all the training, I was noticing health issues. And so I started looking pretty hard in nutrition about it. Oh, it's been a little over a decade now, I guess about 12 years now that I started looking into this. And I just kind of went through different dietary strategies to see what worked best for me. And ultimately, as crazy as it sounds, I found that a, that a meat-based, all-meat-based diet was what gave me the best uh, athletic performance, the best health, the, the best body composition of my life. And I started sharing that on social media. And, you know, it was noticed by a number of people, a lot of vegans, which didn't like the fact that, that I was you know, making the claim that meat was actually being helpful for me. They, they, that was really uh, went pretty strongly against their cognitive uh, sort of biases. And uh, I eventually ended up on Joe Rogan's podcast. That obviously was a pretty big platform. A lot of people got to, you know, hear what I was having to say. And, you know, since that time, I you know, formed a company that we basically work on lifestyle and using you know, largely animal-based nutrition uh, to help people with, you um, a lot of health issues and we've had success and in, in now you know thousands of you know going into tens of thousands of people uh that have uh, you know changed their lives very much for the better uh, despite eating 
a diet based in meat, which many people still believe incorrectly that it is it is unhealthy. And so that's kind of my story, you know, in kind of a nutshell at this point. And the, so I have a question. How is how did you get hooked up to get on the Joe Rogan show? Like, how did that all align if, you know, you're doing your thing and then all of a sudden you're on the biggest platform in the world, basically? Well, I think, you know, uh, according, you know, Joe Rogan just messaged me and said, hey, dude, I, you, you're, what you're doing is kind of interesting. You want to come on the show and talk about it? I said, sure, that's fine. I mean, I, I didn't, you know, there was no forethought on my part. I, in fact, at the time, I wasn't even aware much of Rogan. I mean, I kind of knew he had a podcast, but I didn't really know the the sort of the reach and impact that it would have. And so I kind of said, yeah, you know, I was in his studio at that time was in kind of in the LA area and I didn't live far from there. So I just kind of drove up. It was like an hour drive for me. I kind of drove up and didn't really have any sort of plans of presenting any type of scientific argument. I was just like, Hey dude, this is what I do. And this is what's been happening. So, I mean, a lot of people were critical. Like, well, why didn't you present all these studies? I'm like, look, I was just there to have a conversation. Um, and I guess what, 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 compelled him to to ask me was i guess a lot of people saw what i was doing you know at that point i had just kind of been starting in social media but i had enough of a following where it was considered weird enough or interesting enough that he that he thought i would would, would come on and you know as as it turned out you know when i went on there I, th- I think he was was highly skeptical and a little a little bit thought it was kind of crazy and then you know then he eventually did it after a couple of years he eventually tried it and saw that it was tremendously effective and what i what i had said was basically what actually happens and so he's been uh generally an advocate i think you know of, of the diet at this point he's done it on several occasions he's messaged me a number of times saying hey he's never felt better in his life uh and, and so he does it now periodically i think to kind of when he needs to feel better i think uh so yeah that's 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 the reason i mean i didn't like i said i didn't like hey i need to get on the joe rogan podcast to tell people he just kind of approached me and i said sure i'll be happy to i may go back on there i know we've talked about coming back on pending you know the, the publication of a study that's coming out that we might come on to, to talk about that again but we'll see well out of all the people that i've heard talk about the carnivore diet and getting mixed up between the keto and carnivore and that stuff with with someone like me who's just like dipping their toe in the water of it, it gets a little bit murky. Like, why is there a different in why is there a difference in names if it's very similar in what you're doing? You're living in ketosis if you're in a carnivore diet, I, I would assume. Um, but you explain everything like the best that I have heard so far. You don't come from an ideology standpoint of this is the right way and that's it. Like you can't cross this line or that's where people get in trouble in their arguments. Uh, I, I saw a few clips of you on Mark Bell's podcast with uh, Lane. I forgot his name. I always know him by bio Lane Cause that's what he's on his Twitter. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, Lane Norton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we had a good conversation. You know, I I don't disagree with. I mean, I agree with a lot of what Lane has to say, but I think you know he tries to mischaracterize what we try to say. We're saying, look, this is an option for people. We're no one. I'm not saying this is the only thing we should do, and this is the only thing, and everything else fails, and calories are irrelevant. I've never said that. I mean, if you listen to me, I've never come out and said vegetables are poisonous and no one should eat them. I, what I say is, for some people, this seems to work and it seems to help, and we should be open to the idea that this is effective for people. And, you know, my goal is not to convert people to a carnivore diet. My goal is to get people healthy. You know, that's that's all I really care about. I don't care how you do it. Uh, I'm not an expert in vegan diets. 
I have no plans to be an expert at vegan diet. I couldn't care. You know, I don't really care about that. I know what I know and I know what I'm, you know, what I've been, what I've had success at. I've gotten some level of expertise in this. And so this is what I'm here for. So like I said, if people want to do that now, what I do, you know, with, you know, just, this is going a little off topic, but I mean, when I push back against veganism, it's because they're out there, there are, there are factions of vegans that are out there that want to outlaw meat, ban meat, they want to sit there and characterize you as some evil, awful person, a murderer, a rapist, uh, you know, because you eat the food that every human on the planet has ever eaten since humans have been on the planet. And somehow that's now unethical and, e- and evil when, when, you know, clearly that's, that's nonsense in my view. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that is one thing about, uh, I told you before the show that like, I really, really, that really drew me to your thing is like the way your social media and the way you dealt with it. And, I get that because uh, there's when I talked about the ideology thing, they're very ideological in their thinking of diets. So it's like almost a religion where you're following this thing blindly with no concept of, hey, this may work. This other stuff may work, too, for you, and it's okay. And so then they're going to lash out at you and get angry. And I love the way you deal with them. Like, I absolutely love the little videos where you're eating meat and you're watching them make Bacon out of banana peels, which doesn't make any sense to me at all. But somehow they put all of these different ingredients in a bowl on banana peels and it comes out supposed to be like bacon. And I, I just love the way you you handle it and you respond to them in, in, a, in a way. It's almost like playful and fun, but also like standing your ground at the same time. Yeah, I mean, I think they're, you know, I mean... There, there needs to be a rebuttal to to the nonsense that they spew. I mean, a lot of what they do is just absolute, complete nonsense. And you know, I, if you want to eat bacon, uh, banana peels, hey, that's fine. But I mean, you know, I'm not going to do that. Don't expect me to replace, you know, whatever real food for some, you know, put together, you know, compost or or even worse, these processed food companies, you know, these Beyond Meats and Possible Burgers, and on and on and on, all the other companies that are following suit. I mean, that's just I mean, it's, it's literally just junk food. It's more of the same. It's more of the processed American standard slop food. And to sit there and promote that as some sort of health food or even better for the environment, which it's, which, you know, I would argue it's not, I mean, it's, it's, it's just, it's just, it's just a shame that people do that. And so I think we do need to push back. And sometimes I do it in a way that, you know, some people don't like, they, they find it's, you know, why can't I just, just say meat is good and publish studies and, and, and be that. Well, the problem is, um, when I do those things, you know, I, I put up study. I mean, I can look at my today's social media. I put up, you know, a couple goofy posts about whatever inflammatory things. And there's a lot of engagement. And I put up a nice study about a guy who survived for 80 months of, you know, having a advanced brain cancer doing a carnivore diet. And, and that got, you know, probably 20% of the response rate of all this other stuff. And so <clears throat> it's part of it. Part of it's just about growing an audience so you can get a message out there. And so that's what, you know, I mean, there's a way, I mean, social media works. I mean, you know, there's a game to it. There's a, there's a, you know, there's a, there's a, you know, it's not that, you know, you've got some famous celebrities that don't do anything but look good. And they've got an audience of, you know, 10, 20 million people. And, and so they're, they're impacting a lot more people, not by the strength of what they've posted or done as, you know, maybe because they look handsome or they look beautiful, but that's really not anything that's, I don't know how much value that provides to, the person but they still got the platform so you know it, it's, it's an unfair system but hey life is tough life is unfair you just kind of 
you know, you sink or swim, you, you make the best of it. And in social media, it's, it's about entertaining as much as it is about educating. And I would say sometimes it's even more about entertainment. So that's, you know, that's the medium by which you, you're, you're, you're the arena by which you're competing in. So you've got to, you've got to, you know, do what the rules require. Oh, you're, you're very good at it. Like that, that's one reason I thought like maybe Rogan saw you from your entertainment factor where you're deli- and you're definitely being authentically you, which is, I, and I, that sounded weird just to say that. So it's kind of silly, but you are being authentic and genuine when you're doing it and having fun. So, um, I guess that's what I think the things I'm drawn to is when people are like that and they're, I'm, I tend more to believe what you're saying and take it where I'm going to research that versus somebody who looks like they're getting paid for it or they're putting on a show or they're acting different or you can tell when it's not genuine coming from them. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't have the energy to, to make up a facade or be somebody I'm not. I mean, it's too busy. I mean, yeah, I mean, what you get is what you see is what you get. I mean, that's who I am. And like it or not, some people don't like it. Many people do. And, you know, like I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing and hopefully enough people will appreciate it. And you know, like I said, we need to, we do need to sort of push back and, you know, understand what's, what's going on. Cause there, there's some negative things that are happening that are going to have some really bad consequences on people down the road. If we don't, you know, if we don't put a stop to it or, or at least stand up and push back or at least make sure there's an alternative path. Well, I want to get into, I want to get into what the actual carnivore diet is like just in simple, like simply outlined, but you said some, that's, that's a crazy, that's an interesting point you made. What are some of the negative things that, that you're seeing coming down the road? Um, like in messages and things like that, you're saying pushing back's important, which I, I mean, I agree with you on that, but what are some of the negative things you're seeing coming down the road that we need to start being aware of, of paying attention to? Yeah, I mean, I think this, I mean, first of all, I mean, the, the normalization of disease, I mean, that's, that's just an overarching thing. I mean, we have this entire movement that glorifies people that are unwell and it's, you know, and it's not that we should attack those people or demonize them or, or anything, but to, to start to say that, Hey, it's normal to be obese. It's normal to have arthritis. It's normal to have various digestive problems or mental illnesses these are not normal things. I mean, in no way, shape or form should these people be discriminated against or attacked or anything, but to sort of normalize it so that people sort of just accept that. And then the other solution is generally some kind of medication to be medicated chronically throughout. Human beings are not designed to be chronically on medications. I mean, it's just not the case. I mean, unfortunately there are some people that truly need to be on it lifelong. You know, I'll use like a type one diabetic for instance, but I mean, for the most part, we shouldn't be accepting that, you know, we, and, and, you know, this pandemic where, I mean, the solution was lock everybody in their homes, have them eat, you know, processed food and, you know, and, and not go outside and exercise is, you know, totally backfired. I mean, we have people that, I mean, the American population on average, we supposedly gain 29 pounds on average. I mean, the problem with that is now you have people that are 30 pounds overweight and it gets harder and harder. Once you start down that slippery slope, it is really difficult to change the direction of that because what happens is when you gain that extra weight, everything hurts more. And then when everything hurts more, you don't want to do as much. And then you just, you know, then your energy flags and your mood flags. And then all you want to do is continue doing the, the, the things that have got you in that situation. So that's, that's one thing. I mean, that's, that's obviously something that if our emphasis would have been on, Hey, let's, let's work on metabolic health. Let's work on this from the beginning of this pandemic 
at least given lip service. I mean, they didn't even give it lip service. I mean, normally in medicine, they just give it lip service, which is bad enough because they don't put any real teeth into it. But not even to, to acknowledge that fact. I mean, you know, on a, on a national or, or a institutional level was just a total tragedy. You know, then we have this, you know, demonization of a, of a natural whole food. You know, I mean, whether you're carnivore or meat-based or whatever, it's, it's sort of besides the point. When we start saying that a food that humans have eaten our entire existence, it's natural, it's totally something that we didn't create in a lab or, in a, you know, in a, put, a, put a box around it with a bunch of preservatives. And we're, and we're going to replace that now with synthetic food, whether it's lab-created or you know, plant-based analogs, you know, using 30 ingredients, you know, seed oils and protein isolate powders and all kinds of garbage is just, I mean, it's a disaster. And then we're also sort of, you know, we have this thing where being strong and healthy is now considered almost a negative, you know, it's like, if you're, if you're a strong, healthy male, you're somehow a problem which is ridiculous. I mean, I think, you know, this is, you know, I mean, just because you're strong and healthy doesn't mean you're callous, evil, cruel, mean, you know, you know, violent. I mean, that's just nonsense. I mean, you know, there's sure those good people exist, but that is not universal. I mean, that's, that's, you know, that's, that's, it's stereotyping. And, you know, some people call it quote unquote racist in some form or fashion. But I mean, I think that, I mean, those topics, and, and there's many other ones, but I mean, you know, I think there, there, those, so those are some of the things that I think, problematic and need to be sort of looked at in a better way and addressed in a, in a, in a, in a fashion that uh, does not lead us down this path of continued sickness, both physically and mentally. I mean, we have a, we clearly have a physically sick population. Anybody can walk outside and see that, but just as much, we have a mentally sick population. I mean, just you know, the more chronic disease you see, the more obesity, the more diabetes you see, the more more depression, bipolar disorder, anxiety, just go right along with that. And these people are not well equipped to interact in society very well. We have all these problems. I mean, it's largely due to our nutritional policy, our health policies in general. And it's, it's, it's really, I mean, we're seeing it escalate. I mean, you know, I think people are all time low as far as happiness and, you know, and, and anger and uh, all these things, you know, division we see is just, you know, another consequence of this. Yeah. And there's, there's something about it too, where they've lost the inability to take something honest. Like you're a doctor and if somebody comes into your office and you were to tell them, Hey, you need to eat better. You need to exercise. You need like all this can go away. Like you're overweight. If you, if somebody just goes and tells somebody they're overweight, it's offensive to them for some reason. They can't handle the truth. Like my dad was a, a division one tennis player and when I was growing up and getting into any, any sports, he was always about me being honest with my ability and honest with criticism. Like, be coachable. Be coachable in all these things. And somewhere along the line, people have lost the ability to be coachable in a sense of their health and nutrition. It's like they get real sensitive about being told you're overweight. Yes, you're overweight, but you can fix that. Yeah, I mean, there's uh, there's definitely uh, uh, issues with that. I mean, I saw that with, uh, uh, you know, when I was practicing full time, I would have patients that would come in and they said, hey, I've got pain in my knee and I just want you to put cortisone in there. And, you know, they're obese. And I said, look, we need to have a discussion about some of these other things. And they would just get mad. They're like, no, you are not going to give me a shot. So I'm, I'm going to 
you know, complain and, you know, go see somebody else. And, you know, that, that is sort of a, a definite problem for sure. Okay. So let's get into, I, I, I want to know the outline of what the carnivore diet is for like, just for my information, because, and this is what really piques my interest in this, this topic and the diet, I guess, is I started slowly taking any sort of carbs out of my diet in the morning when I eat breakfast. I eat just bacon and eggs. Like, that's it. And I started, I was like, I'm just going to try it just to see. They talk about it. I'll try it. And I noticed how, I started noticing how good I felt, how much energy I had, and how my brain worked better almost in the morning hours between then and lunch. So like I I could tell the difference. So that's been my like I could feel it. So I just kind of keep doing that. And that's the way I eat. And then that piqued my interest into all this. So explain a little bit I guess about what the outline of the carnivore diet is. Yeah, so I mean the the, the interesting thing, you know, I I mean I kind of gave the gave it the name. I mean there were people doing a similar diet or the the same diet calling it a zero carb diet for years and I just found that to be a little confusing because I mean, there's things that are zero carb that like diet Coke and canola oil and things like that, which would not really technically be something they would be eating. So I, I said, you know, look, we're eating a meat-based diet. And so when I give lectures on this and I, you know, I'll, I'll often present it as just, you know, it's a diet, you know, you're focusing on animal based foods as your source of nutrition. And then the plants, you know, you either fully eliminate them or you drastically limit them, you know, as you need to. And, and then the, the, the sort of, goal here is, you know, improving health or optimizing health. You know, it's not some ideological and it's not like if you have three blueberries once a week, you're suddenly castigated or something like that. It's, you know, it's not that it's just, we're focusing on the nutrition, the the, the, the nutrient density of meat, the better bioavailability, ease of digestibility, um, the relative uh, anti-inflammatory effect. And I know people sometimes or under the belief that meat is somehow inflammatory. That's not really the case. I mean, what we see is, you know, the, the, the actually the, the, the absolute op- opposite, but I mean, that's really the, the nuts and bolts of this. You know, some people will go straight up, just be salt and water for a while. I mean, there's different, different ways people want to approach this. Uh, I, I, I hesitate to really sort of, sort of say, this is absolutely how you do it. And you must do it this way or that way, because it, the, the true answer is we don't really know that. I mean, I've seen people have success in a lot of ways. And, you know, part of it is, you know, it's hard to do a meat-based diet where the only thing in your diet is essentially meat, maybe eggs, maybe some seafood. Uh, Some people will use dairy, but it's tough to do that diet and include a lot of junk food in there. I mean, there's no, you know, with ketogenic diets or vegan diets or paleo diets, there's all kinds of processed junk food with a paleo label on it or a keto label on it. I mean, you see it now, there's no such thing as a healthy cookie. I mean, I'm sorry to disappoint you. I mean, there's no keto cookies aren't healthy. Vegan cookies aren't healthy. And I don't think there's any carnivore cookies. Some people call burger patties, keto carnivore cookies. So maybe in that regard there is. And so, you know, you're doing a very good job of eliminating all this modern unhealthy food. I mean, you can do a plant-based diet and it can be Oreos and Coca-Cola. And, you know, obviously that's not a very good diet, but uh, with a meat-based diet, by definition, you pretty much eliminate all the ultra processed, you know, kind of modern industrialized food. Um, and then, you know, like I said, the plant stuff is some people, not everybody, but some people react negatively to certain plants. I mean, I mean, it's not, it's not a, it's not a mystery that people have allergies to, to poison ivy for say, you know, some people do, some people don't. I mean, I guess most people, I mean, there's other, you know, there's other 
plants that people have more severe reactions to. But when we eat them, some people don't do well with certain plants. Some people do fine, and and that's fine too. Uh, but so we're we're trying to you know you know initially you know in, in many cases you know people are coming to this with significant health issues whether gut issues or autoimmune issues and, and by eliminating all these potential irritants or sense oversensitizing things people often get better they may do that for you know three months six months a year and then many people experiment and they start to say I'm going to reintroduce you know X Y and Z and sometimes they're successful sometimes they're not but. Uh, that is kind of what the diet looks like. I mean, for me, it's, I mean, I've been doing it for five years. I mean, I pretty much, I mean, like I had <laughs> for breakfast, I had a bowl of ground beef, not very exciting. I, I'm, I'm trying to get rid of a bunch of ground beef because I'm getting ready to move and it's in my freezer. So I'm trying to mow through all the ground beef so I don't, so it doesn't go bad during the move. And then I had a couple of steaks for lunch or, you know, or, my, or late lunch, early dinner. And that'll be my meal today. So, I mean, it was basically for me today, it was nothing but meat. I put a little salt on there and no seasoning. And I just drank water. I do that most days, not every day. Sometimes I'll have some seafood. Sometimes I'll have some eggs. Sometimes I'll have a little bit of cheese or dairy. Uh, very rarely, I mean, like my kid's birthday, I'll have a piece of birthday cake. You know, I'm not, like I said, I'm not, I'm, this isn't a dogma for me. It's just like, you know, and, and I don't eat the birthday cake because I think it's a health food and it's going to help me or I need to, you know, carb load or anything like that. It was just because my kid's birthday and it made the kid happier. And that's why I did it. There's no, there's no rationale behind that. But uh, I mean, yeah, generally uh, I do really well. Uh, I don't miss eating uh, much of anything, quite honestly. I mean, like I said, as long as I've eaten enough, I'm, I'm pretty satisfied. Just like, I'm, you know, I kind of, my dogs, for instance, they eat the same diet. I, I mean, my, my diet is about the same as my dogs. I mean, I get more steaks and they get more ground beef, but uh, <laughs> I, you know, we're, we kind of have the same diet and they are, at least from what I can tell, they're very happy. They're very happy to eat. They're, they're very healthy dogs. I mean, my, my oldest dog is almost 10 and she runs around like a puppy. And it's just like, you know, that's kind of the, that's kind of the overview of the diet. You know, there's some people that will tell you, you must eat organ meats, X, Y, and Z, you know, once a month, or you must eat this and that. I, I think, unfortunately, um, that doesn't seem to bear out in, in actual clinical practice. I mean, there's, there's, you know, there's people who've been doing this a long time. I, I'm starting to be there, but there's people who've been doing it a lot longer than me. And, and they basically said, what works is basically to keep it simple. You know, don't have to worry about all these other things. Some people will eat, you know, X amount of liver a week and they do fine with that. And they enjoy it. And it seems to help them. That's great. But I can't get out there and say, like other people will say, you must do this, this, and that to be successful or to be optimized or anything because the data I've seen, I've got, I've got data on over 10,000 people. I did survey data on 10,000 people doing this diet and asking them specifically what they're eating and what were the results and the results between those, the people that were eating, you know, the, the really specific fancy way with organ meats versus people just eat ground beef every day. The, the results overall weren't any different. So, I mean, you know, it's, it's one of those things where I just, again, I'm focused on the results and, you know, until, somebody can clearly demonstrate something has significantly better results. I'm not going to tell people they need to do that. Uh, that's a, uh, that's interesting. You said that about the, the organ stuff. And cause I've heard a lot of things about how this is something that you absolutely need and people taking caplets and, and supplements and everything with it. And um, I'm not a big fan of supplements just because I figure if you, I, I kind of figured out like drinking protein shakes after workouts and all these things, I can get all that from food and I don't feel any different when I do 
the supplementation. Like my body doesn't feel different, I guess, on the inside. So it's interesting you say that you don't find any difference in the the organ stuff. Like that that's kind of interesting. Well, I mean, you know, like I said, I've been in this for for you know quite a while now, and observing and, and documenting this. And you know, it's not that some people don't feel better when they include organ meats, and some people say supplements that can be certainly possible. And some people feel better for a while and then they no longer need that. I mean, I think that certainly is, is going on, but the people out there saying you must include X amount of liver or take my supplements. And a lot of them, they're, a lot of them, they're selling them. So it's kind of a little bit of conflict of interest <laughs> that play that. I think, I think there's it's somewhat disingenuous and it might be a little bit unethical to say that you have to do this to be successful or to be optimized or to be on the next level, because that, that, that doesn't seem to be the case. Um, uh, so I, you know, I've, I've certainly dabbled with organs. I've, I've eaten them. I've eaten them consistently for periods of time and not seen any discernible improvement in anything really. I mean, th- that actually I would care about, you know, I mean, you know, I could maybe move some blood markers around a little bit, but at the end of the day, I don't really care about that. I care about how I perform, how I look, what my health, what my actual health is not some, you know, un- poorly understood lab marker. And, and that's another thing that people, people sort of, they, you know, because you talked about the ketogenic diet at the beginning, you know, the ketogenic diet, one of the goals of the ketogenic diet is to get into ketosis, to have your blood ketone levels exceed, you know, 0.5 millimolar by an older definition. I don't really care. I care less about the ketosis. I care if I feel good. I I care a little bit about my body composition. I I care how I feel, how I perform, you know, what my mental, mental state is, what my mood's like, what my strength is like, you know, sex drive, you know, digestion, my joints. That's what I care about at the end of the day. And I think that's honestly what we should probably all be more interested in, you know, in these little different, you know, people that are obsessed with biomarkers and, and that type of stuff. You know, I'm not sure if they're any better off. I mean, I mean, the one thing is, you know, if you care about your health, I mean, you know, that, that puts you in the category of people that care about your health. So by definition, you're going to be better than most people because most people don't care. You know, you can walk around and go through a grocery store and you can say, these guys could care less about their health. I mean, you just see what's in their grocery cart and you look at them, you know I mean? You're just like, well, they don't really care. If you actually take the effort to care and you're measuring your biohacking, yes, you're probably going to be healthier than the average person. It's the same thing that happens with people going on a vegan diet. I mean, they care about their health in most cases. Some of them do it strictly for animal ethics beliefs and they eat the Oreos and they're fat anyway and they still have a problem. But I mean, you know, in general if you demonstrate some level of concern about your health, you are just by definition going to be better than healthier than the average person, whether you're getting it right or wrong, you're, you're still doing better than the average person. Yeah, I think, and that's super important. That's one big selling point that I love, like the message that you send off, which isn't always, I guess carnivore got lumped in with the keto and you said those little wrap. I see those keto things everywhere, by the way. The little, it'll be a package that says keto. And I'm wondering that's super processed. How do they make it? keto because keto i thought was basically a meat and a few vegetables diet like i thought that's what it was and so you see that you go why are you making cookies if it's meat and vegetables like i don't understand you can get that from the other sections of the grocery store but um well i mean it's i mean the ketogenic thing is a macronutrient ratio and 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 an avoidance of carbohydrates so you i mean you can literally make the worst junk food in the world and call it keto i mean just because it doesn't have a lot of sugar or, uh, you know, or in its high fat, you know, you know, I mean, basically the keto stuff is basically 
all they care about is reducing the carbohydrate count content. So they could put a bunch of sugar alcohols and they could even put in, you know, a bunch of goofy oils and it could still be ketogenic. You know, it's, it's not, you know, as long as they ramp up enough fat and drop the carbs low enough, it's keto. I mean, that's, that's the problem with that. Or it'll qualify, you know, basically people say, well, you know, we want to keep your carbs under a certain amount and, and, and eat X percentage of fat. That's not really, I don't think that really meets the standard definition of people that would truly pr promote a ketogenic diet, you know, well-formulated ketogenic diet as some people would put, but, but nonetheless, the processed food companies have hijacked the craze and, uh, you know, that's, that they sell, they sell a lot of those things for sure. That's wild because I mean, I guess what I thought the keto was is actually what the carnivore diet is. Like, I think, I think I'm like, I've got it flip flop for some reason. That's how I, I mean. That's the ignorance of just seeing little bits and pieces of it, and you know, kind of knowing here or there. I just assumed like, hey, these people on the keto diet are eating like real food all the time, and then corporations just came in and made little things for it, and they're trying to sell it with the keto label, like gluten free. Like you put a little gluten free in a circle. Like my ba bacon is gluten free. Yeah, I know it's gluten free. It's bacon. Like that's easy enough, but. I thought it was just that type of thing. I didn't realize I, I didn't realize I had it backwards the whole time. Well, I mean, I think, you know, a carnivore diet certainly can be ketogenic and there are certainly people that are in ketosis on a carnivore diet. And I've, I've been on ket in ketosis on a carnivore diet. There's no doubt about it, but it isn't the, the end game focus to, 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 so to speak. I mean, you know, again, the, the you know, ketogenic macronutrients, are can be any kind a lot of different food i mean you i could i could do a ketogenic diet it would be straight up diet coke and canola oil and i would be in <laughs> ketosis i mean there's there's no doubt but that's not a very healthy diet obviously maybe put a little protein powder in there just get enough protein but you know that's not the intent of the people that, that probably originally described a ketogenic diet although some of the early descriptions back from the early early days in 1920s and so on and so forth were using a lot more vegetable oils probably at some point and, and some of the knocks on that probably had to do with the fact that it was containing a lot of vegetable oil and, I, and my sort of argument would be you know look there, there was no there were no vegetable oils prior to really the late 1800s prior to that we humans survived the only real source of fat was really animal fat i mean you had a little bit of fat in fruit and things like you know stuff like that but mostly it was animal fat and that's that's really the I mean, well, you know, I guess nuts and seeds would have a small amount, but I mean, honestly, I mean, the majority of the bulk of human fat consumption has been through animal fats through the, the entirety of our existence, with the exception of the last, you know, 100, 150 years, realistically. Wow. That's, 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 that's a very interesting one, too. I didn't, I mean, I don't know too much about the history of that. Like, the, I just know, you know, the things I have seen on vegetable oil and then, you were talking about the vegan people and eating the Oreos and being fat. And like, I went to, my wife used to have to go at her other job, work the uh, big vegan festival in the Rose Bowl. And we'd go out there with her and I would kind of help her with her little booth. And then I would walk around I'm like, I'll try, like, I'll try the food and see what it's like. Like, I want to see what it, what this whole thing's about. Like, how do they make a burger taste like a burger? And so I walked around, I ate it all, and I, it was terrible. That night and the next day, I just felt horrible. I felt just like if I ate nothing but junk food all day. I was like, man, I am, I cannot do this, this vegan thing. There's no way I could ever do that just because I felt so bad. And then I looked at what, how they make the burger and how they make the cheese and why the cheese doesn't melt and all that. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm just basically eating all these oils. 
that make together a thing that's supposed to taste like a burger. Yeah, I, there, there's no, <laughs> yeah, I mean, they can probably get, and they will, they'll get very close on taste and texture and mouthfeel and, and that sort of stuff. And they can even make similar macronutrients, but it's not going to be anywhere close to actual meat, you know, certainly anything made out of plant plant foods. I mean, it's just not going to happen. And, you know, there's an interesting study out of Duke University authored by uh, Stefan Van Vliet, uh, I think 2020, comparing, I think it might have been 2019, comparing like the Impossible Burger to beef. And they looked at, you know, beef has something like 55,000 unique compounds within it. It's not just a little bit of protein and fat. I mean, it's 55,000 unique compounds, include things like carnosine and carnitine and creatine and on and on and on. And looking at the comparison between these, this Impossible Burger and beef, you know, even though the label shows the same similar amount of protein, similar amount of fat, similar amount of saturated fat, so on and so forth, um, there's only about a 10% overlap in the actual nutrients. And so they're not even anywhere near close. I mean, it's 90% dissimilar. And so, I mean, to think you're going to replace that, and, and, and you're right, it is highly processed. I mean, it's, it's literally processed garbage that is just more of the stuff that's making everybody sick. And so, I mean, I think if we stop demonizing meat, realize it's a health food, and, and, and not eat this processed garbage, we would be much, much healthier. Well, what did you eat? You mentioned earlier that you wait, like you went all the way being a professional athlete and doing all these crazy things and then realizing that you were unhealthy around 40, like in your early 40s is when you really started looking at this nutrition wise. And so kind of proving your point that meat is a health food and natural foods and like that is like you went all that way. What did you eat up until that point when you started this diet? Yeah, I mean, I ate, you know, what I thought was generally a healthy pattern. I ate a lot of food. I was a big guy. I was almost 300 pounds at the time. You know, I'm 6'5", about 250 now, but I was close to 300 as a strength athlete. I mean, I was, you know, I was deadlifting close to 800 pounds and throwing Highland Game World Record stuff. I mean, it took, you had to be a big person to do that stuff. And I was eating, a, one, I was eating just a lot of food, a lot of calories. And so certainly uh, that had something, a lot to do with it. I was eating, you know, easily six to 8,000 calories every day. Um, but I was eating a lot of meat. I was eating a lot of you know, like cereals and yogurts. And I was eating a lot of fruits and mostly fruits. Not as, I've never been a big vegetable fan, but I ate some. I ate plenty of grains. I mean, I, I, you know, I'd polish off a box of cereal and, uh, you know, I mean, a bunch of skim milk. And, uh, you know, I would eat, you know, I would eat some dessert from time to time. I, I didn't live on junk food, but I, I definitely, you know, I would have a pizza from time to time. You know, I could easily crush a whole pizza. I mean, it wasn't, wasn't anything for me to do that. Um, so, I mean, you know, I just, I ate a lot and I ate, you know, but I ate, you know, plenty of protein. I ate plenty of uh, fruits and vegetables, plenty of dairy and those types of things. And that was just not good for me. I mean, I was developing metabolic syndrome. I was developing sleep apnea. My blood pressure was elevated. You know, I was heavier than I wanted to be. I just, uh, I, I remember when I turned 40, I'm like, I'm going to get abs at 40. And I never did. I mean, I tried to work out and exercise, but I continued to eat, you know, what I was eating, even though I was eating a little less of those, I made a conscious effort to eat less, less. I just couldn't, I guess I couldn't restrict the calories enough or, you know, to do it. I mean, this wasn't doable for me. And then when I finally, I guess when I was, when I was probably, uh, oh, I don't know, my mid forties was the first time I was able to finally see my abdominal muscles, you know, despite being an athlete my whole life, even as a skinny cross country runner, 
starting out. I mean, as a 14 year old high school kid, six foot, six foot one, 140 pounds, rail thin. I still had a little gut. I mean, you know, it's just like, you know, it's cause I was just eating, you know, this, this junk. It didn't matter what you did. I mean, you can't get rid of that stuff. Uh, and then once I started to focus on protein and, you know, better appetite satiety, and then certainly as a carnivore diet, I've been able to maintain generally a six pack or close to it year round, you know, just, just because my appetite is so well regulated. And so I can, you know, very easily get very lean without, without too much difficulty now. Well, and that's, that's the crazy, like people always say, it's like mostly your diet and it's, it's very interesting. You say that about the, like you were skinny, but you had a little gut. I was, I stopped eating any sort of like flour gluten products um, a couple years ago, I was in the best shape that I've ever been. I'm in doing the CrossFit Open, and I'm on my third round doing a hundred double unders, unbroken. And in the middle of that, my mind went immediately to, "Why is my tummy jiggling? Like that shouldn't be happening right now at all." Like I felt it, and after that workout, I said, "I've got to do something. That's that should not be happening. Like I should not have any sort of bounce in there at all." Being as much time as I put in the gym and fitness wise and everything else. And, uh, that seemed to work like, uh, my inflammation went down and everything else and all that good stuff. So it's funny that you said that about you being 14 as a cross country with a little, with a little gut down there. I mean, it makes sense. Like the junk food and how it processes in your body versus how meat, you know, happens. I guess that you, you get leaner eating meat and fat than you do if you eat, any sort of processed food? Well, I mean, I think, you know, and I, I really hesitate to delve into the weight loss part of the discussion because it's so contentious, but I mean, you know, I think you certainly can get very lean eating meat and fat. Um, and the reason I think it works so well for many people is it does seem to be very satiating. And it, it, it's, it's something that, you know, you know, there, there's obviously a higher protein content. Protein does provide a little bit of an advantage metabolically as far as caloric consumption, you know, it helps with body composition clearly. Uh, but, it, but, you know, ultimately, you know, there, it's not that there aren't lean people eating, you know, other types of food. You can certainly do that, but the level of discipline commitment and maybe hunger you might have to deal with might be more so. And, you know, it's just, if you don't mind being, hungry all the time you've got a really tough will um you can do that and one of the problems you see with like a lot of these people get really lean is they can do that for a short period of time and and you know just get to a certain look they want and then as soon as their contest is over whatever they immediately face down in a a box of pizza and a bunch of ice cream and it's it's because they just can't stand it uh you know they they you know and and so but to 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 stay kind of consistently lean kind of chronically is, 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 you know, it depends on your baseline diet. I think this sort of diet lends itself to that for not everybody, but for many, many people. So you decided to do this in your forties, which I, I told you beforehand, I absolutely love. I'm 40, going to be 41 this year. And I picked rollerblading back up like aggressive, like there's something about like when, my parents, when they were getting a certain age, they, it seemed like they were older. Like, and it seems like it's getting that way where, um, you expected not getting that way. You expected somebody to be a certain way when they were a certain age. And I'm finding out like, I can still go and do all these things and have all this fun. And you're, you're in your forties and you're still pursuing all of these athletic 
goals and achievements and you're almost getting fitter as you get older, which I totally dig um, in all of that stuff. Yeah, I mean, just to clarify, I'm, I'm actually 54, so I'm well beyond my 40s. I'm, yeah. I'm in my mid 50s right now, and uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm performing better, getting you know, continue to get stronger, and you know, I mean, I just I'm not slowing down to any any significant degree. I mean, you know, like I said, I, I do think like go back to what I said at the beginning. We sort of normalize sickness and illness, and we 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 come to expect, like I said, when you're 30 or 40, you're going to have back pain and a beer belly and a dad bod and you're not going to want to do things. And, and, and that's sort of the normal expectation, but just because it happens so frequently, but it's really a, a, a complete reflection of our lifestyle and our food. And, and if you don't participate in that, you can have a very, very different uh, a pattern of, of, of health and function as you get older. And I'm, you know, I'm looking for, you know, I, I don't mind getting older. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Cause I just, every year I get that much better than my peers. You know? It's just cause they're, they're continuing to decay. Whereas I'm, kind of holding the line and in some cases getting better. And so that's, uh, that's an interesting thing. So we'll see how long it will, you know, hopefully it'll last a long time. Yeah. That's my hope. What have you noticed in the difference between the way you eat now versus in your forties and all the working out you did then and all the working out you did now, how, like, how do you feel, um, athletic wise, whenever you're starting to put a lot of output, you know, into your workouts? Yeah. I mean, uh, I feel, less beat up you know I've, I've always trained at a very high level very hard I, that's never changed for me i'm just it's kind of hardwired into my brain when i train it's generally i mean there's periods where it kind of waxes and wanes a little but generally the the, the, the overarching training is, is very high intensity very difficult things uh and also often very frequently and uh i mean what i see now is with the absence of what I would consider, you know, inflammatory type of foods, whether it's a processed food or maybe some of the higher carbohydrate foods that I don't tolerate as well anymore. Um, I just feel better without them. I recover better. I sleep better. I can train intensely more frequently. Um, <clears throat> and so if I can train more, if I can train with high intensity pretty much every day, my overall progress is going to be better. I mean, I know there's this, again, this is another paradigm. As you get older, you need more recovery. You need to dial back the intensity or dial back the frequency. We hear that over and over again. And that's true for most guys eating a junkie diet. Um, I find that because my diet is, I think, very effective and very efficient, that I'm able to continue to train with a high degree of intensity with relative high frequency, recover fine and continue to keep keep making progress. Whereas my peers are, you know, I can only train hard once or twice a week, or, you know, I've got to dial it back. I can't push really hard. I've got to kind of, I don't do that. I just, I just go as hard as I can in many cases, not, not all the time, but I mean, I, you know, what I do, you know, I know myself very well. I know how to train this body. I've been in it for a long time and I know how it works and what it responds to and how to get the most out of it. So I've been doing that for a long time. And for me, um, a decent amount of volume, a decent amount of intensity, and then obviously feeding myself correctly, you know, results in a, in a, in a good result, I think. That is crazy that you, like, you find that you recover, because recovery is a big part of gaining muscle and being able to work out hard again. If you're not as sore, you can work out harder. And so on. That, that's why steroids are such a big deal. They actually make you recover faster. And that is, am, am I wrong on that? Where they make you recover faster so you can work out harder more often. 
Well, I mean, they, they certainly have a straight up anabolic effect as well. And again, I'm, you know, I don't have any personal experience with that, but I mean, I know the physiology. I mean, it, it, it clearly makes you put on muscle and get stronger, irrespective of how much recovery you get. Now, some people will claim it's for their recovery purposes or for injury healing. We've seen those excuses, but I mean, clearly they just have a physiologic effect to make you gain muscle and gain strength more quickly. I mean, that's what, you know, particularly anabolic steroids are going to do. Now there's other things out there that people use as some performance enhancing drugs that may impact, you know, other aspects of, of, of that process. But I mean, you know, for the most part, we're talking about steroids, testosterone and whatnot. You're just going to get stronger. You're going to put on more muscle. You're going to be leaner. I mean, that's, that's regardless of, you know, two people putting in the same amount of work. I mean, the guy that's putting in the exact same amount of work on steroids is going to get a better result than the guy that's not. I mean, that's, you know, I mean, it's not that you can just take drugs and sit on your ass and expect to turn into, yeah. you know, Superman. But again, two people doing the exact same amount of work, one guy getting drugs, one guy getting not, regardless of recovery, you know, issues, the guy on the drugs is going to do better. See, that's, and, and that's another misconception that you can get through all of the things I've, you know, you weed through. That's been one of the biggest things that you hear about that, that conversation is that it doesn't really build your muscle or help build it. It just helps you recover so that you can hit the gym more often than the guy's sore. So that you put a different perspective on it for me. I mean, not that I didn't believe that it could be that way before. I just, it's a different perspective coming from, you know, that angle. Yeah, I mean, there's, I mean, it's it's nonsense to say that you know it, it makes no no effect on you whatsoever. I mean, there's clear studies that show that it, it absolutely it does. And so, any you know, I think they're they're just trying to say, well, I can work. I'm working out harder than everybody else, therefore I'm that's why I'm bigger. I mean, there are people that work just as hard that aren't taking drugs and they just don't get quite the results. It's just it's just the way it is. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, does here's an I, I had another question about this you know, basically meat-based diet, do you think your testosterone, because a lot of TRT, there's all this stuff about, you know, and I'm not saying that's bad at all. If you can take replacement and you can feel better and you can last, you know, you can have a quality of life as way up here, awesome. Like it's great if it's healthy for you. But doing a meat-based diet, does that raise all of your testosterone levels and keep them kind of mellowed out? Do you think that it shows that or is there no kind of basis to my theory of that at all uh well i mean i think first of all there's a number of things that make you your clinical expression of testosterone because i think you have to get away from just looking at an absolute number whether it's total testosterone free testosterone how much is bound to sex hormone binding globulin because there's receptors that come into play and so if you have more receptors you probably need a little bit less less testosterone if you have less receptors you might need potentially more or, or depending how sensitive those receptors are. So there's, there's a lot more to it than what's the absolute number. But what we see is there are many, many things that detract from that, make you perhaps testosterone resistance. And so that has to do with obesity. That has to do with probably a lot of the food we eat. You know, insulin has a, has a role in this. And so when you remove the negative things out, then testosterone functions better, right? Even if you don't actually raise a number. I mean, if testosterone is functioning better, you know, we, we, everybody's familiar with the concept of insulin resistance, uh, but, but we see this with pretty much every hormone. There's a hormone and then there's a receptor. It's a lock and a key. And if the key is all gummed up, it doesn't matter how many keys you have. The lock's all gummed up. So if, you, if you're doing things that are gumming up the lock, then 
doesn't matter how much testosterone is floating around. It's not going to be as effective. That's why many people that go on testosterone, as a physician, I saw this all the time. I'd see all kinds of fat dudes that were just still fat and late. You know, just, they haven't had any benefit from testosterone because, you know, the amount they're getting is not enough to overcome the resistance they have. And so the other answer is just keep taking more and more and more. And most physicians aren't going to pres- prescribe that. The other, the better answer is to eliminate all the things that are gumming up the locks. This is the lifestyle stuff. This is a garbage diet. This is a lack of sleep. This is a you know, poor stress management issues. Then you're going to see better testosterone function. And so when I, when I, when anybody asks me about testosterone, I say, what is the clinical effect you're looking for? You want to look at body composition, strength levels, mental function, and then of course, sexual health. And so that's the output that I want to see. I want to, you know, I don't care if your testosterone is 2000. If you can't get it up as a male, then that's a problem, right? doesn't matter with it. With, you know, at the end of the day, there's not, you know, you're not going to sit there and impress your girlfriend with a, with a lab test that says your testosterone is 2000 when you can't get it up. Right. I mean, she doesn't care. Neither should you. So, I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, we're looking at clinical function and yes. So when people go on a, on a carnivore diet and they clean up all the other garbage, you know, in their diet, come off that other stuff. We often see, improvements in body composition, improvements in cognition and mental health, improvements in uh, strength and performance, and, and, and to include sexual performance, whether it's, you know, ability to have erection or libido. So yes, I mean, it does seem to help. This has been awesome. Like, I, f- I feel like I could go on forever asking you questions because I'm learning, trying to soak up so much information coming from you. Like, this, I mean, this has been an absolute blast, Sean. Thank you so much. Uh, for being on the show. Um, I know we gotta, gotta call it a show right now, but, um, I got, I got your Instagram handle down there. Where can everybody find? I know you have the meat was meat RX, right? Is your company? Yeah. Meat RX is, is probably the best place to actually interact with me because I'm, I'm in there. I I do a, I do an hour presentation every single morning for our members. And so, you can join up for free for a month if you want. Uh, we we have meetings every, you know, there's meetings throughout the day for everybody, but, but mine is at 9 a.m. Pacific time. So anybody that pops in and wants to talk to me, I, I'm happy to chat with them. My, you know, my social media, you know, it's it's kind of more just me putting out stuff. And, you know, sometimes I'll put some comments in there. And But, but, I, but I, I, you know, like I said, it's hard to do that because I've got thousands of people messaging me every week and i just it's just hard to you know have quality interactions in that in that in that way so anyway so that that's that's kind of it's a sean baker in 1967 on instagram meetrx.com is where you can kind of find me and actually talk to me um i do do some consultations you know you can do that through meetrx i do do you know one-on-one consultations for people who really want that um and then i've got a twitter account s baker md um i'm on uh, what is it? YouTube. I've got a, just a channel, Sean Baker, S H A W N B A K E R. And then I just started on <laughs> TikTok, which I think is funny. Uh, Sean Baker MD. Uh, and so, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's just, anyway, just trying to get the message out. I love it, man. I love it. Sean, thank you for being on, man. Really appreciate it. Very appreciate it, man. I got to run though. Thanks. Take care. And, and thank you for letting me have this opportunity. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode. Thank you to Sean for being on again. Go support him at MeetRx and everything else that he does. And don't forget to like, rate, review, and share the podcast. It really means the world to us. And until the next episode, see ya.